depending on when you're watching this, um, we are really happy that you're joining us. We're gonna talk about circular economy uh, and maybe a little bit about other economies, alternative economies as well, um, because circular economy is one way forward, but there might be, might be many others. So um, my name's Irma and I'm um, working towards um, a more sustainable, peaceful global society with the Earth Charter. And with us is um, uh, Tracy um, and of course Sabrina, you know, you all know Sabrina, I'm sure. Um, so maybe Sabrina, you can do a brief introduction and then specifically on, you know, what, what, how is it related to circular, your work related to circular economy? Yes, so hello everybody. Short introduction to me, I'm the director of Animal Concepts and of course, the founder of, of PAUSE and the Practical Animal Welfare Science Platform. And then, of course, we branched out uh, into these other two pods. And one of those, this collaboration with, uh, with IRMA. And uh, we are a proud partner of uh, Earth Charter International. And, of course, you know, really delighted to work with Tracy. Tracy and I started actually working on um, the vegan zoo. So writing about, you know, how do we... Um, design environments where people eat that is actually done in a sustainable manner for this uh, particular, you know, community, the zoos and aquariums community. And, and so that's how we started collaborating and then, of course, um, continuing in this. And I think with regards to circular economy, you know, one of my first interests in this was in 2009 when I did a, a presentation at the EWM, the European Association for, uh, for Aquatic Mammals. I was working with marine mammals at the time and I was really interested in looking at, you know, uh, specifically at the time I was interested in presenting on the three R's of waste management because of the, the issues with water that I was seeing of the animals that we were caring for. So a lot of water wastage a lot of use of fresh drinking water for play with the animals rather than maybe using pumps and circulating the the the, the salt water that they were living in for play um, a lot of you know loss of water by very very poor filtration systems um, so a lot of dumping of water and then you know just putting new water in and salt and so i was very interested actually mainly in the in the water aspect um, and so, you know, this is already 12 years ago, but it was really kind of looking at how do we make more sustainable environments? How do we build more sustainable habitats for marine mammals? And, um, and how do we, you know, uh, become much better at water treatment so that we're not only supporting the well-being of the animals in a saltwater environment and not the freshwater environment for marine mammals, but also how do we create, you know, good um, environments for animals that support, you know, not doing harm to, to the planet. So I think I'll leave it at that for now. Okay, thank you. Yeah, for sure, water is a natural resource that is under under pressure, right? So, um, and uh, we've been working on, like, like you said, the three R's, we're gonna talk about seven R's already 
um, but I'm sure that will come come back in our conversation. And Tracy, please introduce yourself as well. Um, so hello everybody. Um, I'm Tracy, and um, as Sabrina mentioned, we've been collaborating for a little bit. Um, now on various different things, including the vegan zoo, and now recently the Earth Charter and the SDG section of the PAUSE website. Um, so I became interested in the circular economy and sustainability in particular um, while doing my master's degree. So my background is um, sort of ecosystem health uh, mainly. So that is very closely tied into sustainability and um, sort of sustainable development as well. So circular economy plays quite a big role in that. And it's becoming more and more sort of accepted as a, as a way forward for us to provide sort of sustainable solutions to um, climate change, to um, issues that we are facing um, at home with um, our incredible consumerism um, and throwing away waste food and waste products um, at an incredible rate, landfill and things like that. Um, but then when it comes to animal welfare and zoos and aquariums, there's um, quite a lot of room there for um, zoos and aquariums to really get on board with the circular economy type of, of way of doing business. Um, so yeah, so I hope today um, discussing all of this that we're about to discuss will bring some sort of light on the subject and get people thinking about how they can uh, make small adjustments and improvements in their daily life and in their businesses as well. Yes, thank you. So it really um, fits so what you're saying, really fits into what I think the second sentence in, the, in, the, in this part, which is how can you turn conscious into action? Um, which is also the slogan of Earth Charter uh, of uh, last year and this year, because it's such a strong um, slogan, right? We, we can be aware of things, but how do you um, take the next step and put things into action? And I'm really happy with, with your contribution on finding zoos that are actually putting um, circular economy or sustainable thinking, system thinking into action. And um, so 2020 uh, should have been the kickstart of the decade of action by the United Nations, the UN, uh, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, actually. Um, but because of the pandemic, it got sort of you know, pushed in the background. Um, but it was transformed in a way uh, that now says build back better, which um, not going back to normal, but build back better. It also provides us opportunities, right? Um, so can you elaborate Tracy, as well, on what circular e economy is for you? Um, so for me, um, it basically boils down to three R's and three R's. So um, as we will discuss a bit in detail later, I'm sure, um, for me, it's reduce, reuse, and recycle. Um, and we do that in order to recover, restore, and regenerate. So for me, it's about taking um, a system that is currently in existence and looking at how we can design the waste out. So we want to reduce the waste to nothing and we want to take any waste um, that is being produced and put it back into a supply system. Any, any supply system, as long as it's being reused or recycled and then reproduced into something different. And so it creates a sort of cascade until you get to the point where um, products are being made in a biological way so that they can safely be returned to the biosphere. 
um, either directly after being produced or as a consequence of being through this cascade of being reused and reused and reused. Um, and also that these systems are powered by renewable energies. I think that's really quite important as well. Mm -hmm. So it's looking at the three, getting rid of waste, making products biological as much as possible and renewable energies in order to recover, restore and regenerate. Can you give us an example? Yes, so for instance, um, what people might relate to is a pair of jeans, for instance. Now to make a pair of jeans, it takes over 3000 liters of water. Um, so a number of uh, companies are now looking at the production of a pair of jeans and saying, well, how can we make it better? Um, how can we use less water? And what a number of companies are doing um, are they have uh, systems where they can, you can send in your old jeans, they will repair them for you for free of charge. Um, they will also take in old pairs of jeans, they will recycle it, so they will strip down the materials to its basic core cotton and reuse them and make a new pair of jeans out of that old cotton. So we're reusing re and recycling and we're saving on water at the same time. Um, and then of course, a lot of people are, are the, the easiest way to produce renewable energy is through solar wind or through solar panels. So a lot of companies are starting to incorporate this, even some zoos are as well. So that's a, a sort of an example that I think everybody can relate to. I mean, everybody has a pair of jeans in their, in their cupboard, um, but no one is really aware of how much or how many resources it takes to produce just one pair. So it's about being aware of your consumerism, basically. Yeah, and the choices that you have. You can actually lease jeans instead of buy jeans, right? Exactly. There's yeah. all sorts of um, practices that are being put in place, some really good ideas that can be expanded into all sorts of different industries as well. Yes, thank you. Sabrina, what does circular economy mean to you? Yes, so I, I actually am realizing that this format is a really different one that I'm used to because I'm like, oh, I want to bounce on what Tracy just said or, you know, like, what is what is this about? And um, yeah, so yeah, circular economy um, to me, I think like I'm just going to go super practical just thinking about my organization and, you know, in in what way you know, are we trying to reduce or reuse or, and I'm a big fan of trying to not produce. Mm -hmm. So for example, I have a lot of people who are asking me about, um, so I guess I'm maybe kind of stepping out of what circular economy is because what I'm actually trying to do as much as possible in my organization is to just not create it in the first place. And um, so people are asking me for stuff on, um, yeah, where people are asking me, can you create more stuff for paws? Like we want a cap or a shirt or, you know, the map that we have of the, the human with the frog and the giraffe and it's beautiful. And I get it. Uh, I would love to see it on my wall, but I don't have it. Um, and I'm still, you know, I'm still using an old banner, uh, even though my slogan has changed. So I, I'm very much in the refuse circle as, as much as I can. Um, and then, um, so that that's important. And then, you know, what really trying to do is uh, with regards to reducing is, um, I think, 10 years ago or so, we said, you know, we wouldn't do any more name tags. 
So if you didn't, if you came to our seminars, no more name tags, recycle the ones that you had from another meeting. Uh, but uh, I said, I don't want to, you know, over 30, in 30 years from now, have a whole mountain of name tags on my animal concepts name, just because we organized events. So anything sort of kind of reducing or reusing of those uh, is definitely in there. And, um, and I guess the reduce of energy, you know, one of the things I learned from Irma is that uh, when we did a, a mapping of the SDGs and Earth Charter, and with regards to, you know, how you would use your emails and your old, the, 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 the energy consumption around everything that we do online. Um, so one of the things that, um, you know, I learned was, you know, the, the little, um, that you, oh, yeah, that you often have in your signature, you know, every time you send that back and forth, that obviously costs en energy and I never had thought about it. So, you know, we were done and I just said to my team, okay, that's it. We just have a written signature, you know, that's, that's kind of it. So we try to have very quick turnarounds also on what we learn. Um, I have somebody now calculating, uh, coming up with a model to calculate because obviously we are doing a ton online now, like these webinars. Um, so how am I going to think about what my company does with the energy consumption there? Uh, so I can't, um, you know, maybe not necessarily reduce. Well, we could say, okay, we only do so many webinars a year or, you know, kind of that. And one of the things for me also was really thinking about how much will I travel? And that's certainly, you know, now with the pandemic, obviously we're not traveling anywhere, but really looking at uh, in what, for what will I travel and for what will I not? So I guess most of what we are doing uh, within our company, because we don't have overhead, we don't sell souvenirs, you know, we don't, obviously we, when we have in-person events, uh, like I mentioned, the badges, we don't do anything printed, everything's in Dropbox and everything's vegan. So, you know, we're trying to really kind of streamline everything across and um, yeah, I will, I will stop there, but that's kind of how are some of the examples, practical examples of animal concepts. Yeah, thank you. So it's sort of um, finding that balance, right? Because you want to raise awareness, so you need your webinars, but at the same time, you are, you realize, you know, it does cost energy. Um, so it, it looks like, um, it sounds like you are, you're doing a lot of rethinking. Um, and what that says here, be mindful of your consumption, your relationship with things, and yeah. your relationship with the planet we're going to say planet right now <laughs> yes yeah yes. we definitely do that we try to uh to do that in anything that we do is to um, i don't use this one but you know that could be one of the things that we will be using but uh yeah it is um it's definitely something we think and we rethink and when we learn new things we we try to immediately embody them as much as possible exactly thank you so much so um, in the first, uh, the welcome um, part of circular economy, we had this uh, sustainability illustrated. I just, I'm very, a big fan of, of these short videos draw, and um, Alex draws these videos and explains, you know, in this case, what is um, circular economy? And then he says, running the economy like nature runs its own business, which is of course has to do with, there is no waste. We, we are, you know, within nature, you use um, use what, what you, like the natural resources, of course you use it, but you don't, it's not gone. Um, it's still there, right? Yeah. So um, if we're gonna start 
running our economy like nature runs its business, um, then I think, um, and then rethink all the things that we are doing, um, it, it will move our, uh, ourselves forward to um, a more sustainable um, world. Yeah, so, and I think it's a really important point you're making there. And I think it's so important to me, for example, and now her name escapes me and I always use her as an example and every time her name escapes me, but she used to be the CEO of Patagonia. And Patagonia has like this really, really strong, you know, sustainability and social uh, approach to, um, you know, they say, we, we know we will make an impact, right? And, and, but we are going to be try, we're going to try and be conscious about, okay, so if we're going to do it, then how will, can we do it in the best way possible? Because as much as we like, um, sometimes in some of the things that we do, there will be some sort of waste or there will be some sort of products that is not necessarily, even though it could be used somewhere, maybe the energy needed to get that somewhere to somewhere that somebody could use it is not really you know helping right uh, and i think that's such an important aspect for us to really think deeply about no yeah. that's true um particularly in um if we if we try and put this into place now with the way things are at the moment how we currently do business how we currently make products um i think that's very much the case sabrina that you were saying that we'll have things that will have to go to some sort of recycling or landfill or, or be disposed of some way because we haven't yet got to the point where we're making products and making business structures the way that they should be in order to cut out the waste. So I think it will be a problem initially, definitely. <laughs> you can jump in, Sabrina. Uh, no, no, I was going to say, you know, I know how much, you know, Irma is, loves the system thinking and all these, you know, and that um, I was like, when both of you were talking, I was like jotting down things about, you know, for for us to want to get to that point where you will be able to recycle and, you know, and, and this person or this company will use that from this company. And so it, it really requires also a paradigm shift, right? A mindset, a heart set shift, uh, because otherwise, you know, we'll yes. never get there. Um, yeah, if only some yeah, organizations exactly. of people, yeah. Exactly. And collaboration is a, is a huge point there as well. Um, um, but it really is a change of, of the way everything is done, the way products are made, the way businesses are run, the way we think about how we run our households, um, the way we purchase things. It, it's a rethink of everything. Um, and it will take time and a lot of collaboration and I think that's very important we have to come away from the well this this company is a competitor we have to do better than them we have to do something different to them rather we should be talking to each other how are you dealing with this issue how are you recycling your products that kind of thing you know it's I think we have quite a way to go but I think it is happening slowly so maybe that's one of the alternatives that we mentioned, an open source economy where we yes. um, we are not competitors, but we are learning from each other. Yeah. Yes, it's absolutely vital. And uh, that also leads into uh, trailblazers, uh, companies and organizations in certain industries that are leading the way. Um, and the only way that that can be done is through collaboration and through sharing information. And 
the more we talk about it and the more that that becomes accepted, I think the better and the quicker it will happen for us. Exactly. Because if we keep on going like we're doing, then then this is the picture that, that goes with it, right? All the materials that we're using. Um, and um, you can see that, you know, the, the more wealthy countries, so the BRICS is Brazil, Russia, India, Indonesia, China, South Africa, they're, they're uh, growing economies. And you can see, you know, they're sort of catching up with, with the Western um, more wealthy economies as well. Um, and this also, um, you know, if, if we look at water, like you were saying, Sabrina, then of course, um, this adds to that as well. Uh, the impact would be, you know, acidification and the growing of energy demand, climate change, land use, um, toxic toxicity, both to the, uh, in on land and, and um, water-based aquatic systems. Um, and that, of course, relates to the sustainable development goals right away, right? Um, so, uh, Tracy, you were talking about waste and reducing waste or even using waste and byproducts. Can you elaborate on that? Um, yeah, so, so for instance, within, within the animal and the animal industry, um, which includes zoos and farming and things like that, there's quite a few different campaigns that are being started at the moment. So um, zoos are connecting with their local businesses, with the local uh, community and trying to find out um, are there things that they can help with? So for instance, at Sydney Zoo, they have connected with um, the Stock Feed for Farmers program. And I know that this isn't the only um, sort of uh, group that is trying to work with farmers to use their uh, waste food, food that's not exactly beautiful enough to be put into the supermarkets. And there's quite a lot of waste food there. Um, now, I know that in the UK, they're not allowed to do this because of um, the um, disease, the options of disease being uh, commuted through um, humans and animals. But for instance, in Asia, they do it a lot um, and it helps the, the zoos to keep the cost of food down, obviously, and it helps the farmers to get rid of their excess waste and it goes to a good cause. Um, there's other things like um, zoos reach out to the community and say, well, we need X amount of wood because we want to build a new enclosure. Um, companies that have wood that's sitting on the side of the building, they volunteer and they say, yes, you can have our wood. That kind of thing is happening a lot. Um, and then there's also uh, networks that are springing up um, that are connecting business to business trying to connect people who have products that another business can use. Um, and, and for instance, the Columbus Zoo is getting in on that as well. So they said, well, we have these uh, plastic picnic tables in the zoo that we want to get rid of. We want to change things up, but we don't want to put it in landfill. So they put this on the network and said, this is what we have. Another business said, oh, we need the plastic, give it to us. So they took the plastic. They um, recycled it and they made huge, big uh, water pipes out of it. And they used that for water management in the councils. So things like that are happening. Um, and then, of course, with the animal industry, you obviously have a lot of waste products. So you've got um, droppings and uh, cow pats and all sorts of things that you can use that the farmers have excess amount of. They don't know what to do with it. It's okay, some of it is made into compost and used that way, but there's actually too much of it to have that just used that way. So 
um, companies are taking the manure from the farmers and they are extracting the gases out of it and they're using these gases to produce heat, for instance, to produce different types of energy. So that is quite interesting. And that's, that's a way that a circular economy kind of develops, I think. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Sabrina, can you um, maybe elaborate too on using um, waste or, or byproducts? Yeah, it's interesting because my mind was actually going in the opposite direction in the sense of the creation of it by nature of, like you mentioned, Tracy, that both in the forthcoming, you know, writing on this topic that you'll see from us in the future. But uh, you just mentioned, you know, the zoo community or the animal, you know, industry and zoos being part of that. They are uh, not necessarily a business and therefore as a business, you know, they can, they can come up with those sorts of things uh, as you, the examples of you that you gave, but to make money, to uh, feed the animals, pay the staff, there is actually an expenditure having to be done in the field of the souvenirs and the other aspects that are being brought in to uh, make money for, you know, a community that costs a lot because caring for animals is expensive. And also, you know, the the opposite of trying to maybe reduce the amount of food being used uh, it is, you know, often very difficult because like you said, the legislation, the, you know, transmission of zoonotic diseases. And, uh, and so there, the, a lot of the money is being made in the food domain. And uh, apart from, I would say, you know, I know there's a few zoos that are doing more plant-based diets. So they're trying to reduce the impact on the environment by that. There, there's a few zoos that are working on smaller meals because, you know, it's not good for you to eat so much. Uh, and also there's less food wastage being thrown out. Um, but I think overall, actually, my mind was spiraling to the increase of certain um, aspects that where you actually would like the, to be reduced because of the impact that it has. Uh, but it's actually going, those are going up because that's the only way you can really make money apart from, you know, of course, people coming to the zoo. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, I guess, is a side note to um, how, you know, what is maybe on the increase rather than on the decrease. So, and I think that's, that's interesting to see. There's obviously zoos that are eating local. So they have like maybe a 30 kilometer radius of which the vegetables and the fruits and the meat, if they use that is being procured uh, or they're being selective in um, what sorts of, you know, they're not necessarily maybe selling Coca-Cola anymore because I know, you know, sometimes I guess they're, recycling of the bottles can be organized with an organization or you can even use it to make uniforms for us the example that you gave tracy uh, but it's not necessarily reducing um, so i think it's very promising to see that some zoos are saying we're actually not at all um, engaging in those sorts of um, connections so we don't sell soft drinks or you know so and and they're kind of moving people more to a mind state of mind of eating local eating healthy um, buying more whole foods or creating your own uh, juices with with um, local fruits rather than you know buying into coca-cola so and i think that's really interesting to see both of those uh, both those that are eating local plant-based 
smaller portions to reduce the waste. And those that are really kind of trying to do more of a mind shift to address like the consumerism that you talked about uh, earlier. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting that you say that because uh, just building on to that, um, Edinburgh Zoo, for instance, they, they've implemented a, a quite a good system where all of the, the cutlery from the catering that they, they serve on site is all, uh, it's called vegware, so it's all biodegradable. Um, and they, what they did was they, they said, okay, we're going to make this change and see how it, how it works. And they had all the recycling bins on site and there was please recycle your stuff but the public wasn't um, aware of what they can recycle which bins it should go in so they then worked on their signage and they have fantastic signage at the moment which um, encourages them and teaches them at the same time why you should be recycling what you can recycle and how you can recycle it so um, they have their special um, uh, bins just for the vegware and things that can be composted. They have uh, signage saying we compost this on site. That's why it's important that you give it back to us. So you buy it here, but we want to keep it on site. So don't go home with the stuff. Don't take it home and try and recycle it. Give it to us because we use it. Um, so they compost it on site. There's big signs saying what it's used for, uh, what happens to it. And then they also have they're trying to take it from an educational purpose which i think is really important for zoos because zoos are meant to be educational and up until now it's been very much focused on the animals and teaching people about the animals but now we need to move to a more holistic and ecosystem centric type of education i think um, because it's not just about the animals it's about the ecosystems that the animals live in it's about why they're endangered what are we doing to their to the lands to the to the seas why are they becoming so special that we have to keep them in zoos and show them to you that way because you can't go and visit them in the wild anymore um it's about teaching the new generation how to live sustainably i think is quite an important thing for them now so for instance edinburgh zoo is doing this really well and they try and translate it into terms that the public can understand so they say, well, this is how much we've recycled. And it's the same as three rhinoceroses. And they build the rhinoceroses in uh, recyclable materials so that you can see, you can feel, you can touch how much is being recycled, why this is important for the, for the um, ecosystem and for the world globally at the moment. Um, and then they've also got like internal things where they've got an intranet where their staff can get on board with all of this and they can swap items that they no longer want or they no longer need. They can interact with each other that way. Um, they can reuse and recycle uh, things that way. So I think they've really um, gone above and beyond and could really, um, for me, they're a bit of a trailblazer in, in the zoo industry. And I think we could really learn a lot from just the small examples that they have at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, you were talking about trailblazers, right? And um, there's a whole report on how important trailblazers or pathfinders or pioneers are. Mm -hmm. um, being Dutch, I had to figure out what is a trailblazer? <laughs> so therefore, I was like, oh, it's a pathfinder or a pioneer. <laughs> it says a lot about culture, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and they, they are saying, um, they, they, 
um, define these five different steps, like storytelling. Um, and um, I have to put on my glasses for this one because it's really tiny on my screen. Um, setting a higher standard. And that's exactly what you're saying that Edinburgh Zoo is doing, right? Not only um, in education towards their their um, um, their customers, their, their visitors, but also within um, the zoo themselves, within the staff themselves. It's not only from, oh, let's, you know, let's show how good we are doing and how, how much education we are offering, but also, no, we have to practice what we preach. We have to do it ourselves as well, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that that really creates impact. Then people start to understand, oh, it's not a trick. It's something that, um, that we actually do and, and it's important to do. Um, so then they have um, sharing insights. So what are the results of what we're doing and how do we, back, going back to open source, um, initiating collaboration, as you mentioned already, how important that is and in influencing public policy. And we can see how, how impactful that is. Um, so if we're talking about how important great stories are, and you already shared a little bit, um, uh, some of them. Do you have more of those great stories? Um, yeah, okay. Uh, Calgary Zoo, for instance, they um, they have pandas in their zoo and they pandas obviously eat like 40 kilograms of bamboo every day. So they have to ship in a lot of bamboo. So what they've done to keep it sustainable is they've um, reached out directly to the suppliers in China. Um, so there's no middlemen and there's no extra uh, carbon footage with it being flown to different locations. So they go directly to the source and they actually fly them out on um, existing commercial airline flights that are already flying. So there's no special flights for them. Um, it's all done um, with existing uh, facilities as it is at the moment. So that cuts out a lot of carbon footprint for the, the bamboo and it also reduces the price for the zoo because they're going direct to source. Um, and another example that they're doing is um, in their gorilla enclosure because they um, the gorilla habitat is mined for uh, coltan, which is a, it's a mineral that's used in mobile phones or cell phones. Um, so they're trying to educate the uh, the, the public on the, the threats that are facing the animals as well as about the animals. So to make it really come alive, they, they have a thing where the, the mining is destroying the land where the gorillas live and they are being mined for this little bit of mineral that is in your cell phone, in your mobile phone. And the way that um, the consumerism is set up at the moment is uh, things are made to be replaced. Things are not made to last anymore these days. So you replace your cell phone every, I don't know, three years. Uh, you get a new one, you get an upgrade. And we all have like 10 mobiles sitting in our back drawer because we don't use them anymore. The software is out of date. What do we do with them? So the zoo is taking the cell phones and the mobile phones and they are recycling them in order to save the colton that's in them, the mineral. So over a year, they saved 900 pounds of this mineral and they've put this up on the, on the enclosure in the zoo saying, well, this is what we're doing. This is the threat. This is, you know, this is our contribution. And this is what you can do as a consumer yourself. Be aware of what you're buying and, and how often you're buying these items. So I thought that was quite a, um, a good way of bringing it home to the public, um, the threats 
that are facing animals, but as well as what part that they actually play in it. Yes, thank you. Sabrina, do you have some great stories to share as well? <laughs> uh, I, I feel such a party pooper because I'm like listening to this and of course it's not the first time and just in general, you know, when I read stuff, I, I guess I am um, highly critical of which species we keep and where we keep them. Like, I, I want to say I'm so much more in favor of zoos that are housing species that actually are from that particular geographical area that, you know, where, you know, if you really truly want to make an impact, then just please do not have, you know, gorillas in Calgary or pandas in Calgary, uh, apart from the fact that you have to pay a million uh, every year to have pandas. So I, I guess there's, um, I have, I'm, I get very distracted, I guess, by a lot of that, those things that to me would make so much more impact by just not doing it. And I guess I'm in the refuse, just put me in the refuse bubble. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> that's where I'm in most of the time. Um, but I completely resonate, obviously, with, with what you're saying, Tracy, with regards to what is it that you can do, you know, do not buy a new cell phone, even if your provider, you know, offers you an upgrade, if it's not broken, please hold on to it, right? Um, so I find, uh, I find it very important to kind of think about, so if we truly want to make a difference, then... Like when Jess Harfield from the university in, in Oldborg and I wrote Eating Animals at the Zoo, you know, we talked about to, we talked about, it was really about the welfare of the animals and it was not necessarily about the impact on the planet. But this is, you know, where the vegan zoo comes in is like, can you as an organization eat meat? If what you're trying to do is save the rainforests and save the land and, you know, and at the same time, making sure other people can eat um, and they're not eating, you know, uh, very poor food in these countries because we're buying up all the quinoa because now we all have to be sustainable and vegan up here in the North. Um, so I'm, I, I guess when it comes to me about this um, circular economy and really thinking about how do we make things better it's looking at the, 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 the symptoms, but very much at the systems. Uh -huh. And how, how can we be a lot more in the refuse uh, area as a zoo or as an aquarium to, to make those big impacts? And so, and, I, and as much as I think, you know, uh, I love it that zoos, you know, give you 50 cents off if you bring your own cutlery from home, right? So you, you bring your own, you eat at the zoo, uh, and you're not using, so this is how they try to reduce water wastage with, with washing all the, all the cutlery and, the, and all that stuff. Or if, if you bring your own, you know, drinking mug for drinks. And, and I think all these things are absolutely wonderful. But what I would really like to see is kind of almost like, um, you know, what Zurich Zoo is doing uh, as some of the fewer zoos, which is really kind of focusing and, and all the operational bases and how do we, we become a carbon neutral or a carbon negative zoo, right? Where there's a lot of refusals, not necessarily everywhere because they do have elephants and other, you know, exotics, 
but uh, how do you really kind of look at those? Um, so I guess if I'm going for stories, I'm going for those that are deciding uh, not to do a lot of the things to, you know, actually tip the balance into, just like they say, we're not holding these animals anymore. Uh, polar bears, for example, um, because it just doesn't make sense from a conservation perspective. We can't, we can't talk about conservation in our zoo if we're gonna you know, try and keep the polar, polar bears cool. Um, so those would, I guess, be some of my examples when it comes to using, reducing you know, the amount of energy you know, with regards. To, but I would love to just, I guess what the point I'm trying to make here is I would love to see a lot more zoos be in the refuse. Yes. Uh, um, because you know even if your bamboo is flying in the commercial airline it's still coming all the way from china um so yeah i mean i would love to kind of see the you know if we go bird's eye view and do a calculation of a particular facility uh, with all the efforts that they're making are you actually reducing or an annihilating some of your efforts just by practicing some of the others right and I guess this is where the rethink to me really is. It's so important. Um, like sometimes people say, well, I can just recycle it. I'm like, yeah, but we just brought it into the world. You don't want to do that in the first place, right? And so I guess for me, when yes. I'm thinking yeah. about circular economy for zoos and aquariums, then those would be the stories for me. The ones that are trying. Yeah. In which recycle is the last step. Yeah, or the as, ones that, as, yeah, that are trying, you know, they refusing to do, to hold certain species, to do certain things, um, and that they're really kind of, you know, looking at how do we make our uh, facility carbon neutral, you know, in what ways do we have to make serious choices, uh, and decide we can't do this, you know, so, uh, and, and, and those for me are the real trailblazers, I would say, because you can be a trailblazer, yeah. But I would want to see. I want. I would want to see the overall picture. And I think a lot of the smaller, kind of cool things or neat things, I call them, that are done could be completely wiped out by just holding an exotic species. I think the difficulty there is uh, is money. Follow the money. So yeah. you know the zoos have these exotic animals in order to get the people in. Um, the people don't necessarily want to see animals that they know and care for anyway. Uh, they want to see the, the different things that they wouldn't ever be able to see in normal life. They wouldn't be able to fly across half the world and, and go and visit the Congo, for instance, you know. So I think it's difficult because it takes such a shift of thinking, like we were saying before, um, where you have to put everything else above money. And we are in such a, a society where it's so focused on money and financial and making a profit that this is going to take this is going to take quite a jump for a lot of people. But the public has quite a voice here because they have to listen to the public and they have to listen to their consumers and they have to listen to the people that they're supporting. And if we can say that we don't want to see this, what we want to see is the important stuff, the real stuff then that, you know, will bring change quicker, I think. Mm. And it doesn't, doesn't it also have to do with, uh, as you mentioned um, earlier, with competition? 
And and in comparison to, you know, if if we within WASA, IASA, all those kind of organizations state that um, this is the impact that we have by having pandas in in um, a zoo outside its natural habitat, mm -hmm. then you know this is the impact, and we're not going to do that anymore because we want to protect that panda, right? Yeah. So, yeah. How, in in what sense can we sort of seduce these um, facilities to start collaborating more and coming up and come up with solutions like this? So, actually, refuse. Exactly. Yeah. You would have to refuse to go there and say, well no, this isn't what we want. What we want is the welfare of the animal ahead of anything. Uh, we have the technology now to be able to use all sorts of uh, great technological advances in order to bring those animals to us without having them physically there. You know, we can, we have videos, we can even do live streams, we can do all sorts of things where the animals are kept where they should be. Um, in suitable enclosures, not stuck in the wrong hemisphere, feeling the wrong seasons at the wrong time in a small enclosure. Um, but it's all about the public voice, isn't it? It's the same thing as the climate change. Mm -hmm. it's, it has to come from the public in order to push the policies, in order to push the organizations and companies to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. And as we were talking before, then you know the amount of people that know um, about, for instance, the SDG Sustainable Development Goals is already beside the fact that there's a lot of um, attention from the United Nations towards the Sustainable Development Goals. Still, a lot of people have no clue. Do you want to jump into this, Sabrina? I see no, you think I'm thinking. Um, I was thinking of like Skarnes Europe Park, like a small zoo in Sweden that only has like local uh, fauna and they uh, do a lot of work around you know who lives in those areas and local urban wildlife and and I think also it's um it's such a shift also yeah oh what is that um saying again about the you know the system isn't working or something but it was kind of wrongly it was never designed it was always wrong, right? Yeah. And I guess uh, somewhere, and, and this is completely kind of drifting to in a completely different topic, but uh, of course, you know, just looking at the history of zoos and where they came from and, you know, how it was this kind of collection, you know, of people that had a lot of money or not so much money, but they just started to collect animals, right? And then... Uh, gift, uh, gifting them. <laughs> Yeah, or gifting them. Yeah, yeah. So I remember also when I was with Wasa, there was something about an animal being gifted. And I was like, that's just not this time anymore, right? We don't, you know, uh, but just and, and I, I think at some point also, like you said, Tracy, we just kind of need to, you know, completely a, a shift also. Um, because otherwise, right now, so many things are just perpetuated into um, yeah, in, in ways that are just not sustainable. They're not, they're not necessarily a problem for animals. Sometimes they're a welfare problem, sometimes they're not. Like you said, sometimes, you know, they're stuck indoors because they're in the wrong hemisphere. Uh, but maybe, you know, they come up with um, housing them better. But I think, yeah, I think for this to really change is to 
And, and then, as you mentioned, there are so many ways of getting animals in your midst. We just wrote a book chapter on this without actually ever going to Congo or any, right? And, and the other in, interesting part also is that we're now talking about everybody who is happy visiting a zoo or an aquarium. But of course, you know, a lot of this kind of, you know, there's lots of millions and millions of billions of people who never go to zoos for various reasons, either because they don't want to or just because they, there are no zoos near them. Um, but we don't necessarily, you know, I, I haven't seen a study that compares people's attitudes and living, you know, living simply so that others can simply live and so on. Those that go to a zoo versus those, those that don't. Those that go to zoos that advocate for it versus those that don't and so on and so on. So I know I'm kind of really shifting away from this, this what we're talking about here, but at the same time, what we're really ultimately talking about is are people learning in one way or another, like, you know, our, also our educational school uh, curriculum, right? It's still mostly consisting of topics that are completely outdated. You know, what we should be learning in school today is very much what we're talking about here tonight, right? Um, if we want to see the change, you know, in the world, and be that change and but we're, we're learning so many things that have nothing to do with it so yes. whether we're going to zoos or not to zoos i think that this whole thing about circular economy or any alternative economies is so relevant everywhere and i guess going back then to zoos what i would like to see a lot more of in educational programs you know the rethinking there would be okay so how can we um, together with schools actually do that kind of meaningful change uh, towards, you know, what is it that you should be doing or not doing for, but potentially actually a lot more local. So what I find very problematic in very many schools and universities is that a lot of what is taught is about far away and people doing internships far away and their studies far away. And I'm like, well, how about we teach them about the being here and our lives here and the impact here? Uh, rather than always somewhere else. And I think zoos are propagating that sort of, like even though today we see a lot more zoos with local urban wildlife projects, connecting people to beach cleanups or mountain, wherever they are located, uh, they're, they're pulling it closer to themselves, this whole kind of you know attention to nature. But a lot of zoos are still also very much busy with what happens thousands of kilometers away which doesn't necessarily help us think in that more local sphere. Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, this is a very long story uh, around how do we make the lines shorter in everything? If we are talking about, you know, we are doing slow food within a 30 kilometer radius, then we are doing urban wildlife conservation within a hundred kilometer radius. And we are connecting with schools and farmers and local you know, like I would love to see a lot more of that rather than this constant link to very, very far away, but of course still acknowledging the fact that we need to be in support of others who don't in other regions of the world of which obviously we have a human impact because nothing is free of human impact, but we are still sensitive of course to other needs, uh, lands and peoples everywhere. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. So what you're saying is, is interesting. And so the Resilience Center again in, in um, uh, Stockholm, he, 
um, Rökström has this interesting phrase. He says, um, so we, we went from a small world on a big planet to a big world on a small planet. So everything's really, you know, it looks like everything's really, you know, we can travel wherever we want to go. Um, we do realize that everything is connected or some of us at least do realize that everything is connected but it also means you know that the impact is connected as well um, and it's interesting to see how we are in shifting from you know maybe in the last hundred years from you know everything is local you know every little village has is like a shoemaker and a, a, like a bakery and a, a butcher shop and a, you can buy your vegetables to um to uh, living in small towns where there are no shops anymore. Um, you go to the city to do your shopping, right? So, so we sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, spread ourselves around the world as well. Like me as an individual, I'm traveling all around. And what you're now saying is actually we should step back and go, it's not a new thought. It's just something that we over-exaggerated. And now we need to sort of step back and make it easier because of all the technology as Tracy was, was stating. So, um, of course, then we need to, I mean, it's a all beautiful thoughts, but how are we going to get that transformation? And one of the, um, the ways of, of looking at it, and on the left, you see the, the Earth Charter principles, right? Respect and care for the community of life as, as the basic um, thought about, uh, basic um, pillar on how can you, move through this world and the second one being ecological integrity um, and that has of course has uh, much to do with like Sabrina says that you know, your your 40 mile diet or your 100 mile diet for instance um, and be respectful for for the um, ecological systems around you um, but it also has to do with social and economic justice and democracy nonviolence, and peace so those are the pillars of the earth charter and if you look at sustainable development then we tend to um, use this image which is the environment um, the environment uh, um, embodies everything so our social as aspect and our economy as well so if the economy drops then you know part of the social structure will stay will stay still be there um, but if the environment drops, if, if it's destroyed, um, so we don't, cannot have a, a social and economical system anymore. Um, so it, it's sort of, I like this way of looking at it instead of look at the, the different pillars next to each other, because here it sees, you see that it's very much connected. And then, of course, we have the seven R's again, which is reduce and reuse which has much to do with the environment. And, and I like, you know, Sabrina, like you were saying, I'm, I'm really into um, this refuse um, kind of, of thinking. Um, we, we need to reduce and we need to um, not even reuse, but definitely reuse. If you, so you're thinking much from an environmental perspective, I would say. Um, and then the social has to do with respect, rethinking and reflect, which is very much connected to um, the Earth Charter principles, I think. And then the economies recycle and um, redistribute. So what kind of tools do we need to actually get this mind shift going, get the transformation going? Or are we already in sort of a transformation, um, Tracy? Um. I think it has started, um, but we need 
more publicity about it. We need to get the message out beyond um, the limits of conservationists and NGOs that are working on this already. Like you mentioned, the UN, um, like we said before, they, they're very much um, are advocating for the, for the SDGs and trying to get people to follow them and work towards them. But there's not enough out there publicly to the average Joe who doesn't know about the SDGs, what they stand for, how they themselves as an individual can make a difference. Um, and I think that really needs to be a bit broadcast, a bit broader. And things like this webinar are a way of doing it and putting um, messages out there on the internet and writing articles about it. It's a, a step in the right direction, but I think it's, it's a combination of the public standing up and saying, well, this is what we wanna see, but it's also about organizations and companies taking that initiative because changing to a circular economy, making steps towards this or any other alternative economy where you reducing and reusing um, takes a financial incentive in the beginning because you have to change the way you're doing things. So there's two ways that this can be done, either through collaboration where you come together with other companies where you can use each other's resources or you change your own company, your own organization. And of course that takes financial backing. So um, knowledgeable investors, um, patient capital, and I say patient capital because this takes time and a lot of energy initially in order to see long-term results because this really is a long-term thing. This is not an overnight thing. We need this to be a sustainable way of life going forward and not stopping. Um, so really there's, there are some pockets of information out there, like, um, through Ted talks, they have a, a playlist on, uh, reduce, reuse and recycle. You can search it and they have all the Ted talks that relate to that kind of thing. But again, you've got to be aware that they're there in the first place. Um, there's platforms that are trying to bring organizations together, um, through, heads, you know, CEOs of major corporations, um, the heads of NGOs, um, the heads of governments trying to come together to work on solutions to bring the companies towards a circular economy. Um, things like pacecircular.org, they, they're working on bringing these people together to work together to share solutions. Um, there's things like Knowledge Hub-Circular uh, Lab, Circle Lab, sorry. So they're also, uh, they have a platform where you, if you have ideas about how things could be recycled or reused, um, if you have an idea about a system that could um, improve a certain system that's already in place, you can go on there and you can put out your idea, you can find financial backing to do it and you can start implementing it that way. Um, it really puts the power into the public's pocket, really. You as an individual, now can make a really big change. And I think that's important to get the word out there as well, because very often when you're faced with the climate change and you're faced with all this bad news on the news all the time, um, thinking all these species are going extinct, you know, the world just seems like it's actually coming to an end because of COVID and all of this. It's just such bad news all the time. It's very important 
to keep these things at the forefront because they seem to get lost in all of this news. Um, so I think that there is a momentum and it's building, but it really needs to go from the top down and from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, it's just from the top down through the UN, through these big organizations, but it's not going down to, to everyday people in the public. And I think it's important that that changes for us to get there. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you were talking about alternative economies as well, right? Next to yeah. the circular economy, there's, there's the donut economy of, um, mm -hmm. what's her name, Kate um, Redford? Redworth, I, I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, so that's an interesting approach with the planetary boundaries and what you with what and the social um, needs. Um, and there's um, a Dutch organization that is um, creating the economy of significance. And um, significance has to do with with resources being you know natural resources, but also uh, human value um, uh, incorporated. You know what what really is significant for you know, um, us as a species um, as being part of, of um, the environment. So there, there are more alternatives um, next to the circular economy, which I think is very important. Yeah. Sabrina, what do you think is needed to, um, for this transformation, except for pause, because that's uh, yeah. <laughs> Pause is really like tiny, tiny puzzle. Uh, I was like, you know, I'm like drawing, you know, the fall of the World Trade Organization and, you know, things like that, <laughs> because obviously it's like, you know, we're, we're talking about so many things that really, like you said, Tracy, like, you know, follow the money. Right. And it's kind of you you also need all kinds of incentives. You know, people are also now used to we've trained their brains, their livelihoods, their ways that whether you are, you know, a sheep uh, hold there when we release wolves in the environment for reintroduction, rewilding, you know, if, if a sheep gets killed, then they expect money, right? There's yeah. such a drive already. We have now people expecting money and value, you know, in some monetary way. Just like we have so many systems that are run on subsidies that are completely unsustainable. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of them are being, you know, they're driven by, you know, a lot of these trade organizations and world, you know, um, legislations, like it's illegal to not do trade with, an or with a country or an organization that doesn't have certain values, right? Uh, you could be sued for that. So I guess I don't really have any one, you know, what is needed um, because so much is needed, you know, uh, like I mentioned, a lot of these systems just, you know, they were not designed for where we want to be today or how we should be functioning today. But I would say that um, I, I, I keep coming back and I guess that's what PAUSE is trying to do in the small way that we are is about education. And it's really about, you know, like, um, you know, so many people say um, just recently in one of the podcasts that I had with Carl Safina, he also, you know, mentioned it again, we don't need more facts, you know, and facts are not going to change uh, minds and hearts, uh, but, you know, our experiences, our hope, our, you know, our connections, that is what's going to change our hearts, right? And I think we, that's why I'm uh, about mind, the change of mind, the change of heart is like, in what way are we going to do that? And, and to me, 
all that revolves ultimately around education and not the you know the the education that we have today but i guess you know um you know dr jane goodall she of course you know already kind of acknowledged that in her many <clears throat> decades of roots and shoots and there's so many of these sorts of grassroots um organizations that are that are trying to really, like you say, come from the bottom up. Uh, but it, it really needs a complete change in the way that we are operating, the way you know that people think and engage with each other and with the environment. And, and the way to do that is to start very, very early. Yeah. Yes. So I think, you know, if there's one thing that we maybe should do a lot more of is to actually focus on in the UN, if they have to put their money somewhere. And you know, put it at the level of um, educate uh, governmental level of changing educational systems, changing educational curriculum. Uh, and I think actually one of the countries for us to pay a lot of attention to is Finland, uh, the way that they are revamping their educational um, system and the way that they're doing a lot more integrated learning and real life learning uh, is very interesting, but. Yeah, I, I have no, uh, I, I guess, you know, the Earth Charter and the SDGs to a certain extent have other animals included, but not really. Uh, you know, in none of these anim other animals are a stakeholder. Um, you know, a lot of the systems that we have even around sustainability are still very much about the management of these systems and ecosystems that to the way that it will benefit us and help us and not necessarily just you know because it is intrinsically valuable yeah so there's just so much there but i guess you know like anything really education um is really key yeah what you're what you're saying is wording is also very important right so if we look at the white paper that, that i think uh, you have in your um your article and um, tracy that, that you shared with us um so it's about the world Econo economic forum um and uh, it still it compares to g compares gdp with natural resource demand so that you know the basic um the basic uh, communication that they're using is still on uh, a traditional economic system, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that one of the, you know, it, also the the sustainable development goals. If you read the preamble, um, in the preamble, it it states that um, there needs to be economic growth. Yeah. Period. So it's not economic pro growth in in the global south, but it's economic growth. Period. Um, which already is sort of a, the basic problem that we're facing. Um, if we're still using those kind of terms, then it's really hard to actually really transform. And I, I agree, uh, changing the, um, the way that we teach, and it's interesting that you mentioned that, Sabrina, because uh, our first um, webinar with Alicia Jimenez Mm -hmm. um, was about um, you know alternative ways or, or different ways of, of education, um, and I think in your podcast with Miriam Filela, you also talk about um, you know the, the more uh, about value education and the different system, um, which are already on the pause platform. So mm -hmm. yeah. so um, 
I think, you know, the way we talk about a lot of things, it's very circular. <laughs> we come back to the same thing all over again, um, yeah. uh, which is, uh, you know, transformation and what is needed. How can we turn um, conscious into action? Yeah, and I think, you know, if we're then talking about trailblazing zoos and, uh, and how they could, you know, be more... Um, to then really include those kind of value-based educations in their programs, um, you know, so apart from um, obviously, you know, drawing attention to, because like you said, uh, the change needs time, it needs money, it needs all those types of things. Um, but what is it that you can do now where you end talking about, obviously, you know, saving species, the Congo, and at the same time, eating local, you know, the, the values of where we want to go. And I think zoos and aquariums can be those players where the, you know, the, what is it, the, the educator, what is the organization called again for the zoological educators? There's, oh, I, I'm blanking out on them now, but um, the educators for zoos and aquariums, they have a massive uh, organization of all the educators in zoos and aquariums so they've just brought out a, a strategy which I still have to read I mean again you know I'm not an educator so I and I only have so much time but uh, I don't know what is in that strategy but it would be really interesting to see is that strategy reflecting um, earth charter sustainable development goal but then beyond it beyond it as in all stakeholders, uh, including other animals, intrinsic values, you know, a lot of the different wordings, we need a really a different language almost yes. uh, than what we have up to now to really, and I, and I think, you know, the, the, the refuse, there needs to be a lot more like a descent, you know, I descend, I descend. <laughs> uh, we need a lot more of that, I think, in our community. Um, to really make a difference yeah yes so i'm also hearing think global but act local yes um, yes so tracy do you want to um wrap this interesting conversation up <laughs> um well i guess what we've discussed and what we've come to realize is that with the system that we have at the moment and the way society and business is structured towards financial gain um it 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 will take an enormous shift um in mentality for the public for businesses for the governments for policy in order to change the way we are going towards a more sustainable um towards sustainably developing for the future it's it's mostly about looking forward um and what are we safeguarding now in order to have for the future because we probably won't be around to see it it's our generations 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 in front of us that will be reaping the benefits of that um and i think this is also a, a point that people tend to not understand and governments tend to look at what they can do now um, rather than what they can safeguard for the future. They want, um, they want the financial rewards now. Um, they want the public's opinion and gratification and 
voting rights now. So they're not putting plans in for the long term and any kind of alternative economy, circular economy, donut economy, any alternative takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of public backing for it to make headway and to move forward. Mm -hmm. um, but the good news is that we see some organizations moving in the right direction. We see trailblazers that are popping up um, in different industries. Um, we see companies standing up and saying, well, we want to make a change. We want to change things, how, how we're producing things, how we're using our resources, and we're going to start changing. And that will have repercussions and a cascade effect of other companies starting to make the change. So although I think it's going to be quite a difficult road ahead, I think there, there are the right, um, the right mindsets coming out now um, the right people that are willing to back it financially and government-wise and policy-wise. And I think we, if we make the changes now, we should be able to get there in time to save our resources so that our future generations will have something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yes, I'm hearing the seven-generation thinking again. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we talked about that with, with, for instance, with Sam in a previous podcast as well our web webinar as well. Thank yeah. you so much, um, Tracy. It was such a pleasure to, to hear you and, uh, and the, all your beautiful stories and Trailblazer um, <laughs> accelerating you know, the, the change um, that is needed. And thank you very much, Sabrina, for, for just focusing on, you know, just refuse, <laughs> which I think is the best solution. Thank you both so much. And um, Thank you all for watching this podcast. Oh, no, I'm keep saying podcast for this webinar. Um, either it's now or, or later um, uh, in when you have more time. And I'm sure you're going to really enjoy that. Um, so the action that you can do for yourself is really to rethink. Rethink um, what you buy. Rethink that what you throw away. Um, rethink the way you know you... you approach materials, you approach um, stuff that you need or not need. Um, and if we all do that, I think, um, or within our facility in, in within your zoo or within a farm, then um, I think we are already making huge steps. So thank you all. Thank you, Irma. <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks, Lizzie. Thank you, Sabrina. Thank you, Irma. <laughs>